Hi there, everyone, and welcome to this new podcast in the Managing Uncertainty series. And today I'm really grateful to have Peter Harrington join us on this podcast. Peter is a serial entrepreneur and currently the CEO of Venture Simulations Limited, the makers of SimVenture, which is a suite of innovative and award-winning learning solutions for corporate training, but also the education sector. And also very recently, Peter has been hosting the Startup Survival podcast. And I think this is one of the things that I'm going to ask him about today. So Peter, thank you so much for joining us. It's really a great pleasure to have you. Well, thanks. For, yeah, thanks so much for inviting me on. No problem at all. Thank you. And maybe I can launch into my first question then, which is, so you're about to release the finale of the uh, Startup Survival podcast. And I'm sure it's been a fascinating journey for you and the different guests that you've, you've had on that over the past four months. And I wonder what are some of the most important insights you can share from that series for aspiring entrepreneurs and startups? It, it is a great question, particularly as we are finishing the last, ser- the last episode in the series, because the sense of imposterism never leaves you as an entrepreneur because I've, I've, I'm, I'm not a podcast expert, but as part of my entrepreneurship in residence work with London School of Economics, I was literally asked, could I do something mm. as we went into lockdown towards the end of March? Because it was no longer about growth and, and, and um, spectacular things, and, you know, students and startups coming out of university. It, it was about survival. So could I get a podcast out? So Suddenly, I was given permission by a third party to do something, and I got over myself in terms of, right, you know, can I do this? And, and I think that I've always liked the idea of podcast, but I've never felt I could do it. And so the first parallel is, you know, as a startup, and I've set up and grown many different companies, you always have that feeling. And, you know, get over yourself and, you, you know, and get on with it if you believe you can do something, and particularly if someone has given you know you permission and I think the other learning point is that often when you do something um something like like this which is free um you wonder whether anybody is listening Mm. and I think a key thing that I wanted to investigate is how am I going to connect with people how am I going to get this out because I couldn't just rely on the London School of Economics sort of channels of communication so I read a, a, a brilliant book called Made to Stick and that's the other thing, you know, always read. And Made to Stick breaks down how you actually get messages across which people will remember. And I've read a lot of this stuff over the years, 30 years about, you know, having been in business. But Made to Stick really showed me how it had to be done. And it worked. Mm. And, and a lot of the marketing I did for the whole podcast series has been through LinkedIn. And I literally acquired over 4,000 listeners through LinkedIn by saying, look, I'm doing this, I'm doing it with the London School of Economics, would you like, you know, a link? Would this, would this help you? Mm -hmm. And I have been quite stunned by the reaction. Obviously, having a price tag of free does help. (laughs) But, you know, these, these are some of the things you learn, but then you've got to deliver on it. And then it's got to be a quality product. Mm -hmm. And if you don't deliver, and if it's, if it's not a quality product, people won't want any more. And therefore, asking for feedback and boy did I ask for feedback and some of it did come quite harshly in the beginning Mm. and then pivoting and changing and listening and then getting the same people coming back and saying hey that's much better Mm -hmm. and so 
just applying these fundamental rules, which are probably taught in every single entrepreneurship class across the globe, is, is absolutely necessary regardless of who you are or what you're doing. Hmm. I think those are super interesting insights because there's a lot of direct parallels there that can be drawn for what entrepreneurs should be doing right now. So in terms of always researching, always reading, always keeping on top of trends that are happening on key points, because that then speaks to how effectively you can convey your messaging. So as an entrepreneur, and that can be in a podcast scenario, that can be when you're developing your startups. So we had um, one of our earlier podcasts with an entrepreneur, uh, Karen Lee Thompson, she's launched her business in the pandemic. And um, I think one of the things that struck me looking back between what you're saying and what Karen was saying was how crucial is to be authentic in your messaging, but also authentic in yourself as an entrepreneur. And you mentioned the idea of imposter syndrome. And I've seen this before with entrepreneurs that sometimes they, and Karen mentioned the same thing, that they're not comfortable with the tag entrepreneur. They don't think of themselves as entrepreneurs. They think of themselves as maybe a business person or or something else, but but that they are being an entrepreneur and maybe not sure how to convey that. Yeah, the idea that you've got a hobby or a hobby plus, but you're not an entrepreneur. Mm. You know, if you want to do something, that 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 sense of hobby plus is nonsense. And get on and and do something. And but accept that. Be empowered by the sense that we all feel a sense of being an imposter because. Mm. Who are we to say that we can do this? And in many respects, you do need people to empower you by saying, yes, this is good. You've done something well, but you'll never get there until you do something. Mm -hmm. um, and a, a, a big issue here is understanding trust and trusting yourself and trusting uh, the people who you are providing that service for. But understanding what trust is, and you know, it's, it's much, much bigger than just a word, and understanding the strands of it. And that's a, another thing I learned. I learned by interviewing guests doing the research for the programme. Professor Frances Fry does a brilliant TED Talk all about trust, and she's from Professor at Harvard. And she breaks trust down into three strands, which are so easy to understand. But once you do understand it, you know what trust, or you begin to really understand what trust really means. Mm. And this word authentic, you know, actually comes into Absolutely agree. I think trust is one of those vital, intangible properties that you, you have to spend a lot of time nurturing. And at the same time is, is something that's very easy to lose in terms of your behavior, for example. So interestingly, I was involved in an event in June now. It was the, the Reshape um, event. And I was interviewing uh, Janice C from Premium Plaza Group. And it was interesting to, to learn from her about how as a business, they, they, for example, run airport lounges. And one of the things that they did was run very, very quickly, they were communicating into their supply chain, they were communicating into partners, um, emphasizing what they are doing to support a safe working environment, to support a safe supply chain, to try and maintain trust within the business. I think it was, it was one of the key things for me that came out of it, because I think it's one of those things that, especially in the crisis time, you know, thinking about suppliers, if you've not maintained good relationships with your suppliers in the past, 
it's not that you can evoke trust or manufacture trust. It's a long-standing thing. It, it, it's, it's a property that builds. And I think at a time like this, trust is probably one of the most important commodities or one of the most important resources that we can have towards survival. Yes. And I, I think, you know, we have heard lots of people, not necessarily in business, make unsubstantiated claims mm. and promises. And when people hear these things, and then either they realize immediately or when time comes to pass that, that things that have been promised don't come, don't happen, then just trust falls through the floor. Mm. Um, and to, to, you know, it's a critical thing for every single startup to nurture, not just with potential clients, but with people they work with mm. and with suppliers. Um, because without it, you know, there's, there's no glue. The whole thing just can fall apart very quickly. Mm -hmm. and does no absolutely i think um we've touched on some really significant points here for entrepreneurs to think about i think just extending this point forward and maybe i can <clears throat> use this to segue into my second question is i guess one of the major challenges that we we now certainly have is this uncertainty dimension it's knowing for example which partners are going to be crucial for us um how do we you know manage different aspects of our supply chain who do we need to prioritize? Who do we protect? What elements of our products do we develop? So all of these are, are problems caused by uncertainty because we can't, it's very difficult to anticipate what's, what's the most important thing. So three to six months down the line and looking backwards before the pandemic, I mean, one of the big questions was over digital transformation, for example. And in that one, I've, been talking with several people in for example in GE in Oracle where some of the problems they had was we don't know what we're trying to transform into because of uncertainty and so it's one of those major problems that entrepreneurs are now dealing with so I thought I would segue this in, into your SimVenture software and I'm curious as to whether or not uncertainty is something that you've been able to factor into SimVenture whether it's at all possible or what are some of the, maybe some of the complexities around that? Well, it's a very good question. And certainly over the last, um, getting on for 20 years of developing simulation technology, we've invested millions um, and learned an awful lot. And I'm reminded of um, a speaker uh, who I saw, who I heard speaker talking about his own business school in Ghana, when he said, look, Every course, every module we run at the university I've created has to have uncertainty because that's the world when you get, when you go out into the world, it's uncertain. We need to help you understand what uncertainty is about. And the big problem with education is that it's all certain. You know, this is the next module. This is the next course. Come along. You've got to do an exam to pass. And students can be passive and sit back. Mm. And actually, all of the structure we give them is doing exactly the opposite of what we need to do to prepare their mindset for the world of, of work or whatever they want to do. Um, and so in many ways, education is completely around the wrong way. So what the simulation is seeking to do is that they're providing uncertainty throughout. In other words, look, there's no necessary right or wrong answer, but you've got to get hold of the information that's within the simulation. So I'll give you an example. If you want to um, establish whether that you're you're going to be able to sell to a particular market. You've got to do the research with customers, potential customers, and with competitors first. And 
even when you've done that research, that doesn't guarantee that you're going to create demand. You're going to get orders. You're just reducing the risk mm. because you've done that research. You've got that information. So when you make decisions, then say, right, look, we're going to spend so much time and so much effort, or we're going to recruit people into sales to work in this particular sector. You know, the, 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 your calculations should pay off. What I think differentiates us from so many simulations, and to be honest, there aren't that many, is that it's so much easier to write algorithms for a simulation, which just gives you orders. Mm. You know, or you just get something just happens. And having spent 30 years running different types of businesses and teamed up with people who, you know, who've got very similar experience and a lot of technology experience, we know that one of the most difficult things to teach is creating demand. What do, how do you teach creating demand? But actually, when you try and start up a business, the most difficult thing to understand is creating demand. And so what we don't want to do is to falsify it. In mm. other words, to take away the authenticity of the real experience, which is just to give people orders, simulation, or they just get work. And it's like, well, how did you do that then? I don't know. The, I just, the computer just gave, gave, me, gave me orders. Mm. Well, to be honest with you, you should put, the, put it away now. It's absolute nonsense. It's doing you more harm than good. It's not teaching you anything. In fact, it's teaching you exactly what doesn't happen. And so we take huge amount of pride in students who actually say to us, it's difficult, it's hard. And it's like, yeah, well, what do you think business is like? Do you think it's a walk <laughs> in the park? And so that uncertainty in trying to understand how to create demand is one aspect. But likewise, within evolution, venture evolution, that, you know, the tutor has a whole control tower behind the scenes whereby they can control events. So mm. if they want to change how the market is performing, they can do. But it's up to the people who are running the stim, if they, as long as they're doing continuous search, they'll note that. Because the big killer in business is assumption. So you start off, when you start in business, everybody goes into flawed assumption. Everyone does. Yeah. And, and the obvious one is, um, my phone's going to ring. People are going to want what I do. No, they don't. They genuinely don't. There's loads of competition out there, and they don't even know about you. Your mum and dad might, and your brother, but not, no, nobody else. Mm. Um, and these assumptions gradually, the pain of startup is that you realise all your assumptions are wrong. And one of the things that you know, the, the simulation is about is helping people to understand what they don't know, what they don't know. Um, yeah, uh, that's, a real, that's a very interesting concept. I, I think that's really, really intriguing because there was two key points that I took from what you're saying. One is this aspect of risk. So we can take actions to reduce risk. And what's interesting about the concept of uncertainty then is that sometimes we might think something is uncertain because we haven't looked enough into it. We haven't asked ourselves the right questions. We haven't thought about what you were saying previously about reading and researching into the concept. So for example, about creating demand. So creating demand becomes infinitely harder, the more distant we are from understanding our markets and understanding what are the, the critical trends or what would be an authentic message to, to those um, in the market space. So I think it's very interesting there to think that uncertainty could also be a function of either making flawed assumptions or taking things for granted or not having been forced to confront what it is that you do not know. And therefore, then there might well be some interesting solutions or existing answers out there. So that would be one thing. And then the other key thing that I like is just the invisible hand aspect or the tutor, for example, in the simulation, being able to play God, as <laughs> so it speak, and start to change 
events. And I think that is exactly the point in real life where you have these wild cards that you cannot anticipate or you cannot predict for. And I think that's the benefits of having that aspect in the simulation. Yeah, and I think you know, we have to ask ourselves in education, what, what, what do we really want? And we want students to be more curious. We want them to ask better questions, to be more active in their learning. And they ask better questions when they realize they don't know something that, that becomes important to them. And, you know, why, am I, why is my business not doing better? Hmm. Okay, it's a good question. Glad you've asked it. Let, let's, let's talk about it. And then the other side of it is by the time students finish and go on to the world of work, we want them to be independent learners. We want them to be independent individuals and not be dependent on us for the next bit of stuff or whatever it is they want. And by personalizing the learning and getting students in charge of the decisions they're making, and becoming more curious and wanting to know answers, then not only are they far more likely to succeed if they go into a, a job, and I think just coming back to this, you know, understanding demand at the micro level, I often the answer is not in books. It's saying to the people, and I do this a lot in the two universities um, I work at, it is, look, you've got to go and talk to potential customers. And that necessarily means hearing things you don't want to hear. Mm. And so many people don't want to do that. And it's like, look, develop the resilience to accept rejection. It's going to happen, but just go and ask the questions and find out. And that is a cornerstone of all good startups. I think the phrase you use there, resilience to accept rejection, is really interesting and important message because having taught several entrepreneurship programs myself and you know, all of them have a similar kind of angle where they want students to think creatively, think about businesses, think about opportunities. And a lot, a lot of students then come to me afterwards with various ideas. And you, once you start asking, so, you know, who have you asked about this? You know, have you spoken to anybody about their opinion on it? Um, very often it's friends or family who are never really going to say no <laughs> or never really yeah. going to give you bad news. And I think yeah. that it's probably a function of a lack of resilience to accept rejection, as you say. And I think especially now more than ever in the survival context and crisis context that you need that resilience to be able to and, and how you react to that rejection and being able to you, you either get paralyzed by it and you stay the course and you adhere and and then you're likely to spiral down into failure or you you willing to take a pivoting decision and react in the moment. So I think, yeah, that is a really vital takeaway. Yeah, and sometimes it's not all bad news. People say, well, I like what you're doing, but I prefer it in black rather than red. Mm. And the critical thing then is not to go away and just make it a different color, but ask that all important question, what, so why is that? And, and being curious and just finding out and then seeing whether other people share that answer, mm-hmm. you know, typically is going down the road to success. Because you, you know, you're looking to try and find, you know, the right solution to the problem that you've identified. But uh, anyway, this is very well covered, um, and I'll probably go on too long. But but getting out there and handling rejection and being more resilient and being curious, I think, are the hallmarks of all great young entrepreneurs or any entrepreneur. It doesn't matter what age, um, rather than dashing out there building something trying to sell it. The hallmark of so many failures. Yeah, absolutely. With this in mind, maybe I can move to my final question because I think we're touching on what makes entrepreneurs different is that they've got this bias to take action. They're willing to take action when faced with either difficult circumstances or uncertainty or in the face of simply not having any kind of knowledge, but they've always got this bias 
to take action and, and make judgments in the face of, of uncertainty. And so looking at the 12 months ahead, what do you think are some of the essential skills that entrepreneurs or managers and innovators inside businesses need to get a handle on to drive resilience, but also resurgence in their ventures? Well, I thought about this question and I have to say that I, I interviewed um, Dr. Vaughan Tan, who's uh, uh, he's at Imperial uh, as part of my podcast and very similar question. And, and the key thing here is flexibility and adaptability at the expense of profit, because, you know, we are in, you know, here, here comes a lot of um, sailing metaphors, but we are in choppy waters. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to sense when the uncertainty is going to end. So making big decisions when it's everything's so uncertain is, is, is difficult. So being um, flexible, adaptable, um, tuning right into your customers. And I think the organizations that have very good relationships, trust-based relationships with their, their, with their customers, and not just their customers, but also their, their colleagues as well. Because if they're gonna say, look, you know, we need to be you know, adaptable and flexible, and this is why, you know, if, if you know whether you're a team of five or a team of five hundred, mm. when you know the team needs to be all on side at this moment in time and understand why you're doing it, and of course that also means having open channels of communication. And it's very easy to use that phrase. Oh yes, we've got very open channels of communication, but you know what does that actually mm. mean? If, if all you're saying is yes, the door's open to speak to the CEO on a Friday afternoon. Um, yeah, I so agree. I, I agree. Are, yeah, uh, you know, need to be in place um, together, and of course, therefore, the smaller you are, the more adaptable, more flexible you can be. And it's interesting. I mean, I go back to two thousand and nine when the research company where I'm chair. I mean, we had our tin hats on, and we were meeting as a board probably every two weeks. And I noticed that we were into board meetings pretty quickly. Um, April, March, April, May, and how now they've begun to reduce. As we can see, some trends, but a little bit more confident. Um, but we, we're not yet back to the quarterly board. It's been really, really interesting listening to to your response there, because I think it goes all the way back to what we were saying at the beginning that in in any scenario, in any venture trust is so critical to this and trust again permeates not only the externally with suppliers and customers and having trust-based relationships but also internally and how communications internally are so crucial to keeping employees on side but keeping employees moving with with momentum towards taking action towards changing the business towards helping it stay competitive in the situation that it finds itself in and how adaptability ultimately depends on that communication and vision which ultimately depends on trust as well so it's interesting for me to see that thread sort of all tied together in this particular issue yeah we haven't got enough time to sort of unpick those those mm. strands of, of trust but it's also those organizations which recognize and, and not just recognize, but they take on diversity actively are far more likely to succeed because organizations which try and frame themselves in the mindset of the leaders or the, or the leader or the leadership team mm-hmm. is not diversive. It's just a reflection of themselves. And that necessarily means that the successful ones tune into the individuals and who they are and encourage them to succeed as those people as themselves within the team and if they've got that culture 
then when you ask people to change and adapt and be flexible, they are so much more likely to go with you because they trust what you're mm. saying rather than the opposite way around. Peter, it's been absolute treasure trove of insights because what, you, what you've just described in terms of how it cannot come simply from the top management alone, the top management mindset or tuning into that mindset. That for me is intriguing because so much of the research that we have on entrepreneurship in businesses stems from having the firm mirror the mindset of the senior managers, which is so interesting to, and is actually quite refreshing to me to hear a different viewpoint on that and to say, well, actually, that's not enough because you need to tune into what's going on elsewhere inside your business. Because on the one hand, you, know, you can have a vision for entrepreneurship, but you might not be able to execute on that without being able to take employees across the business with you. And that's been something I've been trying to emphasize for some time in my teaching, for example, on strategy and, and corporate entrepreneurship. So, so I'm very grateful for that nugget of insight for me as well from my research. Well, it, again, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and I'm conscious that of not to take too much more of your time, but I would like to, if I'm, I don't know how I'm going to achieve this, but I'm going to try and summarize some of the key points that you've, you've raised. And normally I try to try to identify about three, but I've been making notes and I'm up to at least five. <laughs> so I, I, I'm super grateful to you for, for sharing your insights. But I think for me, I'm, maybe um, you can push back or agree on this, but I think that the key messages for me are this resilience to accepting rejection. I think it's vital for an entrepreneur, be they you know in a crisis period or outside of that, you have to be willing to put yourself at a degree of risk and that can be you know getting rejection from customers getting rejection from the marketplace but at the end of the day that is good positive information to help you change and improve your business and it can be maybe the message that you need to make this important pivot and adjust the business i think related to that is you have to be curious i think if you're willing to accept rejection is because you've been willing to do something different and i think that comes from having that curiosity-driven mindset that you mentioned. And if we tie those two together, I think they also relate to this idea of flexibility and adaptability, which for me, I think ties into probably the two most critical things that you've said, which is trust-based relationships and having that drive so that you're not being paralyzed by uncertainty, but that you're, you're putting adaptability and above profitability in the short term at least so that you can drive through changes in the business that will put it on a sounder footing going forward. But it does seem to me that none of that will be as effective without trust-based relationships. So I hope my summary is useful. Maybe you can uh, close with a, with a thought on that. I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. The only thing I would say is slightly different is, look, it's, it, it's not necessarily reducing risk when you go out. It's just always going to be an uncertain world. Mm -hmm. As a startup, when you start talking to people you've never met before, but the more able and better equipped you are to go and do that, and typically that's about mindset and ability to communicate, the more valuable information you get. And I think as a, as a, I'd say to everybody, if you are approached by a startup who wants to get some feedback, be kind, be gentle, but tell them the truth. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great way to end this particular podcast. So Peter, again, thank you so much. It's been an absolute treasure trove of insights, as I've said a couple of times now. And uh, yeah, I'm sure no doubt this will be very beneficial for listeners. So again, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Matt. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Peter. Take care.